Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden sending tanks to Ukraine. How the White House reacts to concerns over accountability of Ukraine aid. And what the White House tells us about China's continued support for Russia. Former President Trump gets an answer about his Facebook account. What Meta says about reversing his ban. The back and forth continues on how to handle the national debt. Republicans pushing for cuts in spending and Democrats asking for specifics, accusing them of trying to cut key programs. An indictment against two activists who allegedly attacked pro-life pregnancy centers. One of the two suspects has reportedly been charged before. The suspect who killed seven in a northern California seaside town is on Monday is facing murder charges. The rest of the community is trying to recover and comfort each other. The U.S. and Germany are sending tanks to Ukraine. This amid reports that Chinese companies are selling military aid to Russia. And TD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. The U.S. agrees to send 31 Abrams battle tanks to Ukraine. Biden's Wednesday announcement reverses months of persistent arguments by his administration that these tanks were too difficult for Ukraine to operate and maintain. Such reluctance now comes to an end. These tanks are further evidence of our enduring, unflagging commitment to Ukraine. It gives them an offensive, uh, mechanized, armored, punching force. The announcement comes right after Germany agreed to send Ukraine dozens of its own Leopard tanks. Together, the two countries mark the first step of a coordinated effort by Western countries to send key dozens of heavy weapons. Putin expected Europe and the United States to weaken our resolve. He expected our support for Ukraine to crumble with time. He was wrong. But the new package, which is worth $400 million, also comes amid some lawmakers' concerns that the massive amount of equipment and tax money sent to Ukraine lacks oversight and accountability. And the White House says this. I see no indication that anything we've sent over um, has ended up in the wrong hands or has been using or being used inappropriately. Meanwhile, concerns are rising over China's continued support for Russia. The Biden administration has reportedly confronted the Chinese regime with evidence that Chinese state-owned companies are selling non-lethal military aid to Russia. And I asked National Security spokesperson John Kirby what the U.S. would do about it. Would the U.S. impose stronger measures than just communicate? We certainly have been clear uh, uh, in private settings with Chinese leaders uh, that we don't believe that now is the time for business as usual with Russia. We know they're still buying Russian oil, for instance, um, and um, it's not clear, you know, whether they will abide by the, the cap. Um, but it, this is the time for the international community, and you're seeing so much of it today in this decision, to really continue to rally around Ukraine and to make the right decisions. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tau, TD News. Meta's president of global affairs announced the company will reinstate former President Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts in coming weeks following a two-year suspension. Facebook, along with Twitter and many other social media platforms, barred Trump soon after the January 6th breach of the U.S. Capitol. They said his posts on January 6th incited violence and posed a risk to public safety. 
The reinstatement will allow Trump to run his campaign ads on his Facebook and Instagram pages, which had 34 million and 23 million followers respectively before the ban. Meta said they didn't speak to Trump about the decision and don't know if he will use his accounts once restored. Trump responded on Truth Social, saying such a ban should have never happened in the first place. And it seems there may be a sigh of relief on both sides of politics after classified documents were found at the home of former Vice President Mike Pence yesterday. Those two questions I would refer you No comment from the White House on Pence's classified documents. But a parallel in their stories may prove helpful. Both Biden's and Pence's teams had immediately notified the National Archives when they discovered the documents. It could soften criticism against the president for not alerting the public for months following that initial discovery. Former President Trump did comment, saying on Truth Social, Mike Pence is an innocent man. Leave him alone. And the find may help the former president's case. Senator Lindsey Graham pointing to a possible shift in perspective on the topic, tweeting, I don't believe there were sinister motives with regards to Biden, Trump or Pence. We have a classified information problem which needs to be fixed. Well, looks- Pence had earlier this month described in detail in an interview on Fox Business the process he went through to ensure that no classified documents were stored in his home, a process that may now face further scrutiny. Pence has agreed to work with congressional oversight. It's not clear if his case will be assigned a special counsel, but questions surrounding possible breaches of national security in these cases continue as three of the most recognizable faces running and potentially running for president next year grapple with the same controversy. As the nation's debt hangs in the balance, GOP doubles down on a push for spending cuts. Democrats accuse Republicans of aiming to cut key programs like Social Security. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskopf from Capitol Hill. The urgent need to raise the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling has led to a sharp partisan battle over how to handle the national budget moving forward. Democrats have repeatedly pointed to what they call a lack of clarity in Republicans' plan for spending cuts. And the truth of the matter is it is quite difficult right now to pin down exactly where Republicans are trying to cut. Senator Rand Paul was pressed further on some specifics, and he did give a few examples of where they could cut so-called wasteful spending. Here's a look. $700,000 to see if kids are better coped with pets. $650,000 to study why male parrots like female parrots and how they pursue them. And while Republicans deny this claim, Democrats have continuously accused the GOP of aiming to cut programs like Social Security. Now, this comes as the Congressional Budget Office's latest analysis shows that Social Security is expected to be insolvent by 2033. I asked Senate Leader Chuck Schumer what the Democrats' plan is for keeping this program solvent. Here's how he responded. We will always defend Social Security. Democrats had a plan to make sure that Social Security is solvent. In addition, Democrats are honing in on a recent proposal uh, made by a few House Republicans, which is called the Fair Tax Act. Now, this would essentially eliminate payroll, personal and corporate taxes and replace it with a national sales tax. But this is only supported by a handful of Republicans in the House. It's not looking like it's seriously being considered by the conference as a whole in the House or uh, by Senate Republicans on the Senate side. Uh, We asked Senator Braun if this is something that he would support. He says he opposes it. Here's why. So, so cutting- I heard about that. I, I think that's mixing too many variables into the discussion because 
it's not a revenue issue. It's a spending issue. Now, Congress does have a couple of months of wiggle room before the Treasury runs out of measures uh, that they're using right now to stay under that borrowing cap. McCarthy is set to meet at the White House with President Biden to discuss this issue, although it's unclear when that meeting will happen or how effective that meeting will be, because right now it still looks like McCarthy and President Biden are very far apart on where they stand on the issue. McCarthy aims to use that meeting as a way to negotiate stricter budget, budget measures while the White House says there will be no negotiation at all. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A federal grand jury has indicted two suspected activists for allegedly vandalizing pro-life pregnancy centers. It's the first indictment since such attacks began in May of last year. The DOJ on Tuesday announced an indictment against two suspects, charging them with painting threatening messages on pro-life facilities in Florida. Similar attacks started in May of 2022 after a draft of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked. According to the DOJ, the two suspects from Florida targeted pregnancy resource facilities and vandalized those facilities with spray-painted threats. They're alleged to have spray-painted threats, including, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you. Your time is up. We are coming for you. And we are everywhere. The two suspects may have violated the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or FACE Act. This is the same federal statute that was used to charge pro-life activists for obstructing access to abortion clinics. The indictment alleges that the suspects violated the FACE Act by using threats of force to intimidate and interfere with the employees of a reproductive health services facility. They're suspected of targeting three Florida facilities in all. Those are in Winter Haven, Hialeah, and Hollywood. According to WLRN, one of the two was previously charged with disorderly conduct, trespassing, and resisting arrest without violence. That happened last July, after a debate over sex education broke out at a school board meeting. If convicted on the current charges, the suspects each face up to a maximum of 12 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines of up to $350,000. Both of the suspects are in their mid-20s. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. Now, an update on the recent shootings that took place in California. The suspect responsible for the shooting in Northern California's Half Moon Bay will be charged for murder. Meanwhile, members of the seaside community left flowers and made donations. They say this kind of violence is rare and devastating. A prosecutor said Wednesday that 66-year-old Chen Li Zhao will be charged with seven counts of murder and one of attempted murder after a shooting on Monday. Community members were in shock on Tuesday after they learned of the news. Many of the victims are immigrant farm workers. We are the neighbors with the, you know, the worker you know, on the farm. I think they work and we sad for, for them. At the farming nonprofit ALAS, which stands for Ayudando Latinos a Sonar, or Helping Latinos to Dream, the tragedy prompted an outpouring of donations. People dropped off bottled water and perishable food items. It's devastating. I mean, you know, we were just out at the farms last month, you know, uh, delivering uh, tamales for our farm workers, recognizing them for their hard work, you know, year round, and um, just trying to give them that recognition, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, it just feels like just. You know, we were just there and unfortunately, you know, this just happened. Zhao was arrested on Monday evening outside a sheriff's station shortly after the Half Moon Bay shootings, apparently to surrender. 
Carlos Aguilar Luis, a retired farm worker from Guanajuato, Mexico, worked in Half Moon Bay for 37 years. He says this is his first time seeing a shooting in the seaside town. Shootings? No. Fighting between the workers and ranchers? Yeah. With a knife, too. Just only once. That's the only thing that's happened. Nothing more. And Antonio Perez, who works at a Latino grocery store in Half Moon Bay, went to the same school in Mexico as Marciano Martinez Jimenez, one of the victims. All the people here know him. He is a good boy. Never mess with anyone. He is very respectful with everyone. We don't know what the motive was for what happened in this tragedy with him. The truth is, we don't know anything about that. As of Tuesday, authorities said they have yet to determine precisely what sparked either shooting. Circumstances surrounding the Half Moon Bay carnage pointed to some type of work-related disgruntlement. And staying in California, state Democrats are pushing for a new tax on the state's wealthiest that will include the ability to tax them even after they leave the state or even after they move out of the country. State Assembly member Alex Lee introduced the bill last week. Here he is at a press conference this week calling for wealth taxes to, quote, bring tax justice. For far too long, we've allowed income inequality to deepen and fester in this state and in this country where the rich get wealthier and the middle class shrinks and falls further behind. The proposed law would tax the, quote, worldwide net worth of former residents who have moved abroad or to another state. It would impose a 1.5% tax on a net worth above $1 billion and 1% on any above $50 million. The new tax would generate about $22 billion per year, according to Assemblymember Alex Lee. That's roughly the same amount as California's budget deficit. California already taxes its wealthy residents more than most states, with the top 1% of earners accounting for around half of the state's income tax revenues. In response to the proposal, a local business group says it would drive even more wealthy residents to leave the state. A recent study found that more moving trucks left from California than from any other state in 2022 for the third year in a row, with the top destinations being at North and South Carolina, Florida and Texas. And other blue states have recently floated similar schemes to target the rich, including Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Minnesota, New York, and Washington. While each state has a different approach, they typically include taxing assets, lowering the threshold for estate taxes, and raising rates for higher earners. And the superintendent of Virginia's Fairfax County Public Schools denied an allegation of unlawful discrimination in a recent interview. The superintendent was criticized after a Fairfax High School allegedly delayed notification to students who earned National Merit Scholarship Awards until after college admissions deadlines. She said the school made a mistake. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. The superintendent of Fairfax County Public Schools responded to criticism from Governor Glenn Youngkin that Thomas Jefferson High School delayed in notifying students they had received National Merit Scholarship Awards. In an interview with Tucker Carlson, Youngkin said, And when you have a superintendent in Loudoun County who expresses a desire that all students will have equal outcomes, no exceptions, this is the kind of just crazy behavior that you get from principals and administrators. In January, Youngkin requested a state investigation into an allegation of discrimination by one of the parents. 
The parents said a school official told her they didn't want to hurt the feelings of other students who weren't being honored. In an exclusive interview with CNN, Michelle Reed broke her silence about the issue. Reed said in a message to the school that the delay was a unique situation due to human error, an error, she said, that was corrected immediately. We committed to contacting all the colleges and universities of the early action, early decision schools that otherwise our commended scholars might not have had that information to notify. Some other parents who spoke to CNN said the delay didn't impact their children's applications. Youngkin has said the delay could indicate a human rights violation and that he intends to get to the bottom of this. Arlene Richards, NTD News. No more Newsmax on AT&T's DirecTV platforms as of last night. The cable company calls it a cost-cutting move, while lawmakers and the TV channel itself say they're being censored. Newsmax CEO Christopher Ruddy called DirecTV's action a blatant act of political discrimination. Republican lawmakers wrote a letter to DirecTV last week saying the company was moving to deplatform Newsmax. DirecTV also removed One American News last year. The letter alleges this came after Democrats encouraged the company to censor conservative TV networks. DirecTV said that keeping the station would raise customers' costs. The lawmakers promised extensive oversight on possible collusion between the government and the private sector to circumvent First Amendment rights. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up next, strengthening ties with Taiwan while facing threats from the Chinese Communist Party. A congressman tells NTD about his plan regarding U.S. relations with Taiwan. And in the NFL, the Chiefs held practice today, but the big question was whether injured star Patrick Mahomes was able to go. That and more coming up. Congressman Tom Tiffany wants the U.S. to resume diplomatic relations with Taiwan and treat the island as an independent nation. Today, the congressman gave an exclusive interview with NTD's Steve Lance. Congressman Tom Tiffany and 17 other members of Congress are reintroducing legislation calling for the U.S. to end its one-China policy. The policy began in the 1970s. It regards the People's Republic of China, which is currently led by the Chinese Communist Party, as the sole legal government of China. Taiwan has been put on the same footing since the Carter era as North Korea and other recalcitrant countries like that. Um, shouldn't they be treated? Taiwan, it's a democratic country. Since 1979, they've expanded their democracy and are truly a peace-loving, free country um, here on planet Earth, and I think they should be recognized as such. If Tiffany's legislation passes, it would resume formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan. It would also enable negotiations for a bilateral free trade agreement with Taiwan and support Taiwan's memberships in international organizations. The congressman indicated that this kind of support could deter a possible invasion by China into Taiwan. Support shows strength. When you look at the Ukraine, what were the two things that Vladimir put, uh, Putin took from 2021. One, America is no longer going to be energy independent under President Biden. And then the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. They saw weakness. It is really important, and that's part of the reason we're introducing this bill, is to show strength. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is planning to visit Taiwan in the near future. How important do you think that will be, that trip? Uh, uh, really, really good news. You know, in spite of uh, President Biden being really hesitant on this issue, including his foreign policy team, it was good that Speaker Pelosi made the trip to Taiwan. But I'm really heartened to hear that uh, Speaker McCarthy is going to make a trip to Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party regards Taiwan as part of China and often talks about what it calls reunification. China's chairman, Xi Jinping, has said that China would never renounce the right to use force in order to make Taiwan part of China. The CCP also often warns other nations of getting involved in the Taiwan issue, saying the U.S. is playing with fire by doing so. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Steve Lance, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Big news out of Kansas City today as Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes took part in the team's morning walkthrough and is planning to practice as usual despite operating on a sprained ankle. The two-time All-Pro was injured in the first quarter of Saturday's win over Jacksonville when his lower leg bent awkwardly while being tackled. He was initially subbed out to get x-rays, but returned for the second half, though he was clearly hobbled. Said Mahomes, quote, I'll push it a little bit today, and then the next day, and then the next day again, and see what I can do then. Not re-aggravate the injury, obviously, but push it to see what I'll be able to do on Sunday. The former MVP said he suffered a similar injury in 2019 on the opposite ankle, but played the following week and threw for four touchdowns in a win. Chiefs coach Andy Reid said, quote, knowing him, I think he's going to try to do everything and we'll see what he does. Kansas City will host Cincinnati in the AFC title game on Sunday, while San Francisco visits Philly for the NFC Championship. And in tennis news, American Tommy Paul downed his fellow compatriot Ben Shelton to reach the Australian Open semifinals. With the win, Paul extends his best run ever at a major, though his reward is facing the nine-time champion of this event, Novak Djokovic. Djokovic beat fifth-seeded Audrey Rublev in straight sets for his record-tying 26th straight win at this tournament. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has 10 games planned, including a Bucks-Nuggets clash that features the two players who won the last four MVPs, Nikola Jokic of Denver and Giannis Adetokounmpo of Milwaukee. And finally, for you hockey fans, five games are on tap tonight, and that includes the Edmonton Oilers and leading scorer Connor McDavid, who's on pace for a whopping 150 points this season, which will be the most in the league since Mario Lemieux's 161 more than two decades ago. McDavid's Oilers host the Columbus Blue Jackets. And that's it for your sports news. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. Next, for the Chinese New Year weekend, some celebrated by seeing a show of traditional dance. Here's what the audience in Virginia had to say after seeing Shen Yun performing arts. In Fairfax, Virginia, the theater was filled with enthusiasm at three sharing performances throughout the weekend. Colorful, uh, dynamic, hopeful. I would just say I'm impressed. The, uh, you know what, the, the, the dancing, the orchestra, the all of it, it is, it's a fantastic production. It's well put together. I'm very entertained. It's been quite a magical experience. We actually brought our 86-year-old uh, grandmother with us. Um, so she, she actually is sitting inside right now, but she's loving it. So she, she keeps saying, wow, it's so impressive. So she's enjoying every moment. 
Many were touched by the singers, who use a classical bel canto technique. Oh my gosh, he was awesome. I mean, the way he was singing, it was almost brought tears to my eyes. I mean, he had so much effort, so much emotion. I know He's so well. So powerful, oh extremely God. powerful. And the young man uh, before uh. her was uh, had an awful lot of soul expression in his uh, in his presentation. He was, you know, they carried me away. Shenyang also tells the story of modern-day persecution, which happens in China today under communism. Some audience members were especially touched by that scene. Tears were running down my face, and I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it, but it hasn't happened in my memory. I can't remember then ever having cried like that. They added that Shenyang shares universal human values. Beauty and inner compassion has a, a great strength. In today's world that's so polarized, it gives you hope. Couldn't ask for much more. You can have heaven on earth if you live your life the way Shen Yun is portraying it. Shen troops are performing in eight locations in the U.S. this week, including Memphis and Washington, D.C. NTD News, Fairfax, Virginia. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.